Welcome to City Hill. We are all about lighting up our world so that people far from God can find life in Christ. If you got the email out, um, that went out, I think it was on Friday, um, yeah, it, we're, we're in a new phase. So we're finishing this series. There's not like a series for the next uh, month um, because I just felt it would be totally distracting. So what we're doing the next month is we've got this thing called the launch. Now the idea behind the launch is the launch is not uh, a series. The launch is, in January, we'll be seeking to launch as a church, like a fresh, if for, if for the first time. So I sent you guys like the longest email I've ever written for City Hill. Like Pastor Zach went to me like, dude, it's too long. It's awesome, but it's too long. And um, sadly, my phone malfunctioned and I didn't get his heads up before I'd actually sent it. And I was like, no! Hearing wisdom after sending, not great. Can't go back in time. But it's really important that everyone um, checks their email and reads through that because there's some huge, huge stuff for us. So what it kind of, the flow of it is, just to chuck some of it out there, is that although we started as a church, we didn't know who we were. We knew the passage God had given us, we didn't know our identity. We now know who we are. We're a church that's all about lighting up our world so that people far from God can find life in Christ. And we've got values to go with it. Um, Shine, invite, give our three core values, the different ways that that pans out. And so we're gonna be expanding those kind of things, but also how we're gonna function and how we're gonna operate as a church come the new year. So we're gonna be starting with a few things. So the shift to Sunday morning, whoop whoop, first ever Sunday morning in a while, um, six months I think it is. The reason for that shift, um, Sunday nights I felt was working really, really good, but ultimately the key thing you need to grow as a church is you need to be able to put on children's church. And Sunday night children's church is just like, it just make, it's, like a, it's like a schizophrenic entity. It makes no sense whatsoever. It's just pulling against what you're trying to achieve. So we're here with Sunday mornings again. So in January, what we're gonna be looking to do is the whole idea of the launch is getting everything done that we need um, to function as a church, to have the visual aids that we need, the branding that we need, um, the gift packs that we need for people that come for the first time so that when they leave here, they don't just leave with um, a copy of my book. That's awesome. And I love my own book, but <laughs> they might not. Um, it'd be really cool to give like a, a kind of a City Hill branded mug, um, like a bookmark with our values clearly on, things like that, a little pack of a few different bits, bits and pieces in there together. Um, so that's kind of the idea. Also, it's getting all the resources we will need for the children's church straight up front and done. So part of the email, what it had at the bottom was there's this amazing deal on Amazon for Black Friday. Um, we're getting the Kindle Fires um, for the kids. So there's a Bible app um, for kids, which does animated stories, and they go through it, and there's little gems to find and, and rewards to have. I play it with Eden sometimes. It's, it's actually really, really good. And there's a number of other different apps out there so that we can do children's church differently. So in the new year, we're going to be launching a really strong, strong series for us as adults, but also for us as kids. Um, specifically designed that I've been running through with Marv um, that they will be able to do the same series as us. They won't always be able to do that. Sometimes they'll do their own thing, but we'll have digital active games, like not even just like Bible ones, like secular games that kids know, we know that they love, and a way to use them to link in with the series and then also an activity and like a five minute lesson. So it's really just aimed to be like the best hour of their week. So we want the kids when they come here over the next year as we get visitors coming with their kids for the first time um, and hopefully some guys reconnecting, um, their kids will have the absolute best Sunday. So it's so important we read that email. The second reason why it's so important to read that email and try and read it a few times is just to get a hold of the values 
Um, so like I've been touching on it gently for a few different talks, but it's like, these are our behaviors. This is who we are. This is our identity. So part of invite has different layers to it. Um, and we're going to be exploring that over the course of December. And then we'll have our kind of um, Christmas service. So we haven't got a series so much because we've got a campaign going with it. And to have a campaign, a series and a Christmas service in one month, I think people would just be like, and just miss all the messages. So we're just keeping it straight down to talking about the launch. Now, today we're wrapping up our series, um, Persevere. Um, we've had loads and loads of fun with it. Last week, where we left off, is we left off with the children of Israel um, marching down the aisle um, to their to their wedding. So um, we sang the song just now, and I was ending last week kind of emphasizing and saying how we sing, you split the sea so I could walk straight through it, Whereas actually whenever I've sung it in churches, um, I sing it completely differently for myself. I sing, you split the sea so I could walk straight to you. Because what happens is they've left their abusive relationship, they've left slavery, they've taken this journey of freedom, and God is literally holding back the waters, splitting the waters so they can walk straight through um, to, to, to Sinai, to, to this mountain and to this place where Moses initially meets with the burning bush. So today what we're gonna be flying through is we're gonna be flowing from the story there it's going to be a little bit different from the rest of the series. I felt the rest of the series, I was far more coherent, but I felt like God had a few different points I wanted to focus on. So they're marching through the aisle. And what's happening when they march through the aisle is they're marching there to receive God's law. They're marching there to receive God's law. So Exodus 20, we're just going to look at the Ten Commandments. There's a lot of other stuff that comes with it that's unpacked. If you want to know about the different items God tells them to make, we did an amazing series called Artifacts, which is on our website and it's on our SoundCloud and on the iTunes podcast. Um, I really recommend you listen to that because that was a really strong series. Um, it was really, 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 really dope. So we're straight at the point of the Ten Commandments. So chapter 20 of Exodus. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of slavery, out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. So the first thing is the context of who God is. Um, you shall have no other gods before me or it literally translates before or besides me. So God is saying like, I'm here and like, he doesn't, it's not even that he's saying there's not other gods, which I find pretty interesting. He's not even saying there's not other things you end up worshiping in your life. There's not other things you end up looking up to, but don't have them beside me. And don't put them, whatever you do, don't put them before me. Like beside me is a no-go, before me, hell no. So that's kind of what God is saying. That's the first commandment. It's about holding him in perspective. I remember being in so many different churches that would really try and like guilt trip, um, guilt trip me. So like, I love Liverpool. Liverpool won yesterday. After looking like they were gonna have a nil-nil draw, towards the end, they, they scored two goals, they won to keep pressure on and keep him running at the top of the league. Now, I didn't go to Anfield yesterday, but I've been before. Now. What happens in a lot of churches is they say on a Sunday, I know some of you were at the football yesterday and you cheered your team more than you cheer the Lord. And you're just like, oh, that is, that is some dead guilt trip. That is so dead. Like really, that's the best thing you could do to try and make me sing louder as we go through this chorus for the gazillionth time. That is your battle cry. Like, are you seriously bringing that out? That is like, hashtag re and um, it always happens I've been to so many churches they always say it and I'm kind of like sitting there as they say it for like the gazillionth time and I'm thinking are you are you nuts 
Like, let me tell you the distinct difference between what I do for Liverpool and what I do for Jesus. I haven't changed the entire orientation and direction and gravitational pull of my life for Liverpool Football Club. I buy a kit maybe once a year, once every two. Now Eden's here, probably once every three. Um, I watch a game when I can. Yeah, I cheer a goal at the screen. I get a bit excited. I get a bit upset at times. But I do not change the direction of my entire life. I don't have a standing order to Liverpool Football Club. Straight up. I never have. I never will. It doesn't happen. I don't live each day going to work thinking, where's an opportunity to share faith? Like, I must evangelise people to Liverpool Football Club. No, they have their clubs, I have mine, and I don't feel it's important for me to convert them to my club. You see what I mean? Like, I love my team, like, but, like, I don't put them beside God or ahead of him. And even if I go mental at a football game, like, I'm not being funny. I don't think God would appreciate it if a visitor came for the first time on a Sunday morning and I reacted how I do when Liverpool score a goal. <laughs> As the pastor of this church, they may never come back again. They might just leave and be like, wow, I went to this church and it was just like a football match. Mm, don't think I'd be going back there. It's different things, you know what I mean? But nothing besides him. Then he goes on to say, you shall not make for yourself any carved image or any likeness of anything that is heaven above or that is of the earth beneath or is that of the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I am the Lord your God, I am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me but showing steadfast love to thousands who love me and are keeping my commandments. I want to pause there just to plug another series we did called Epigenetics. You totally need to check that out. It's absolutely so, so, so sick about um, that going down to the third, fourth generation. Um, But ultimately here, he's saying like, no idols. So the first thing God says as his top 10 greatest laws of all time, um, this should be a show on Channel 5 really. They've got a top 10 for everything else. The top 10 pop songs that went wrong that you didn't know about. There's everything like that. So here's God's top 10. No other gods beside me, no gods ahead of me. That's one. Uh, No idols. And then he has, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. So God is like, okay, so I'm ahead of everyone. None of the images, you need to be making any idols to worship them or serve them. And he's saying, my name is different. Like, you don't just throw my name about. You don't just like lower it. You don't lessen it. Um, And what God is doing here is genius. Because with these first first three commandments, It sets up everything he's ever going to say to them, everything he's ever going to do with them. If you keep a hold of the first three, you will treasure and value anything God says to you. If you keep the first three, you keep him in a position of reverence and holiness that will transform the way you live your life because you'll be ready to hear his word above any culture, above any media pressure, above any um, pressure within society. You will hear him and what he says will matter the most because you won't lower his name beneath MTV, Sky News, any politician or any celebrity because he will be held top. So these three laws are so, so, so key. Now, the next section of the law, um, which is basically four to nine, is is all lifestyle. So this is his top top 10 laws overall, but these are the, the top six that he has for how he wants you to live. These are his top six. Um, The fourth one, is this remember the sabbath day to keep it holy six days you shall labor do all your work but the seventh day is a sabbath to the lord your god on it you shall not do any work you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock 
um, or the traveller who is within your gates. So even the traveller gets the benefit of this. For in six days the Lord made heaven, earth, and the sea, and all that is in them, and rest on the seventh. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So he's like, keep this day. So this day is for you. Keep this day of rest. Now, the reason why this is the top of the list when it comes to behavior, some of you might be going, oh, I don't know about Sabbath. I feel that maybe murder um, should be higher in God's top 10. I feel like murder should come above Sabbath. Um, as a married man, I can say the number of times me and Jody have had moments where we disagree with one another or said something really hurtful. And then later on, when one of us has challenged the other, we said, oh, I didn't mean that. I was tired. I didn't mean that. I totally didn't mean that. I was just tired. Like, I was just knackered. There's a key reason why Sabbath is top. Because you see, most of the time in life, we make mistakes, fall into habitual sins, ditches, and potholes because we're knackered. We're absolutely knackered. You know when you're absolutely zonked and then something happens in front of you? Like, when I'm really tired with my learners, like, oh man, that's when I could most likely bang out and lose my job and give someone the one bang because I'm absolutely shattered. Absolutely shattered. When I'm at my wits end, like with Eden, I'm so I can be so patient with her because I love her and she's amazing. But when I'm absolutely knackered, that's when I'm like, you do that one more time, the balcony is appealing. You know what I mean? Because I'm tired. It's because I'm knackered. Because I'm done in. I'm done in. And that's my daughter who I love. Now imagine someone else's child that I don't even know and don't like. You know what I mean? And then there's someone I really don't like in front of me, and I'm tired, and they're rude to me. That's it. The one bang comes. So like. God puts above everything else the Sabbath. And I know I've been plugging series and I'm not plugging an online course that I'm doing later on in the year, am I? Hey, hey. So, that's Sabbath. Now, the next one is honour your mother, honour your father and your mother that, the, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. This one's a difficult one for a society because of the family breakdown. But if there wasn't the family breakdown within society and if everyone had good parents, it's pretty straightforward. Um... If you didn't have good parents, I still think you can find some things to honour in them. But um, generally speaking, I totally get it. Why some people find that um, a challenge. Because if your parents are, are, are the people who have abused you and hurt you more on this earth than anyone else, I totally get that. So with this one in mind, it, it, we, we apply common sense. Like God isn't saying like, that's it, you, you honour your mum and father when they're the biggest abuser that's ever encountered, you've ever encountered. That's not what it's talking about. Then we move on to the next one. Um, you shall not commit murder. I don't think we have any qualms with that one. That's not good. Unless you're murdering a track, that is okay. But murdering one another, not okay. Since I'm on a plugging thing, Leke murdered his latest EP, which you can get at justleke.com. That's okay. Murdering people, Leke, not okay. You shall not commit adultery. Another one, I think we're all pretty much down with that. And then the one after that, you shall not steal. And then the next one is, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. All of these are behavioral ones. So from the fourth down to the ninth. Now there is the tenth. The tenth says, you shall not cover your neighbor's house. You shall not cover your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything else that is your neighbor's. So for us, that's like the top ten. For the rabbis though, there's only nine. There's only nine. They don't see the tenth because they say this. If you keep the first nine, the tenth is a bonus. And the bonus ball is, if you obey the top nine, um, you won't want anyone else's life. Oh! Mic drop. Rabbi, boom. Hashtag winning. 
if you keep the first nine commandments, you won't be coveting because you won't want anyone's life. You're living the dream. So that right there, on the side of this mountain, they've left slavery. God is going like, listing out these things. He's saying, listen, you need to forget the gods behind you. You need to forget the idols that they had in Egypt. Um, you can't lower my name. Like my name is higher than Pharaoh. My name's higher than any other God. My name is higher than Ra. Don't take that in vain. I'm not, I'm not like that next on. He's, he's been moved to, he's been shaken, he's dealt with. Now, he says, they had you working every single day of the week. It was bricks, bricks, bricks. Or in Rihanna's Riri, the great psalmist and philosopher, work, 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 work. Even she says it six times. And there is a rest for the seventh. And then it says some explicit lyric, which sounds like a kind of Sabbath to me. But nevertheless, Sabbath. Then, honor your mother and your father. He's saying, this is how our, fire, our family structure is going to be. This is how the family home is going to hold it together. And then he lists these serious crimes, which should not be among them. Um, and then he says, you don't need to be chasing after anyone else's life. So... God has given this people that were enslaved, he's set them free from their abusive relationship, he's led them out, and he's mapping out for them the type of relationship he wants to have with them. The problem is, is while Moses is up the mountain, getting all of this down, and he's up there for a good while now, we skip ahead past all the different laws, all the different identities, uh, the whole identity for this people and we skip right ahead to chapter 32 so all of that stuff before it is literally just all the things that need to kind of happen how it's going to be running through different ways things are going to function society um, and how and the symbols they're going to have as reminders a bit like our values that we're going to have up and how we're going to display them and then in chapter 32 what happens is this when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered to themselves um, to Aaron and said to him, up, um, said to him, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, take off your rings of gold that are in your ears um, of your wives, your sons, your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that are in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made proclamation and said, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and bought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down, for your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it. And said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore, let, leave me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation out of you. But Moses implored the Lord, his God, and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say with evil intent did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn your burning anger 
Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, remember Isaac, remember Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and all this land that I have promised, I will give to your offspring and they shall inherit it forever. The Lord relented from disaster and he had spoken of bringing on his people. Then Moses turned and went down from the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand. Tablets were written on both sides from front and back and they were written. Um, and so then Moses goes down and um, skipping ahead, he just basically lays um, Smackdown versus Raw. Um, it's like UFC 5000. Um, there, there is a lot of um, carnage that goes on and a lot of craziness. So one of the things that I love about this particular story is because after all the great experiences they've had, still ingrained in them and in their minds is what they've left behind. And actually so often in life, it's what you leave behind that defines you. And actually what God is doing here is he's he's brought them out of Egypt, he's delivered them, he's parted, held back um, the waters, they've passed through it, they've entered into this freedom. But while Moses is getting the DNA and the identity for their society, they've been left with this vacuum of time within their hands and they've straight away resorted to the gods they knew before, a golden ball, a golden calf. I wonder where you've seen that before. Jeez, Aaron, that's creative. Straight back to Egypt. And the problem is, Moses is up on the mountain having a mountaintop experience with God, like a Hillsong conference, and it's, it's all awesome, and he's buzzing. But while he's up there buzzing, the whole world is going to pop. And so often, I've spent a lot of time around kind of Christian movements where the key thing for them is, getting up the mountain to be with God. And the only problem with that is, while you're up the mountain, everything else is falling apart. So I've I've met Christians who spend their whole life trying to keep an emotional feeling going from some conference than keeping that momentum going, rather than coming down from that place to meet a people who are worshiping golden calves, a people that you're to lead, a people you're to influence, you're the salt of the earth, you're the light of the world. You can't be hidden away up on a mountain. Like, I'm not saying that this wasn't necessary. It was. Like, they, they've completely lost the plot. But I'm saying for us, don't be too quick wanting to stay up on some mountaintop experience. It's the same with Jesus and Transfiguration. Peter's like, let's get the tents. Let's camp out. Let's stay here forever. And it's like, no, that's, no, no. That's, that's not what this is. We pack up Soul Survivor and then we go and we're missional. Like, the tent must come down, Peter. We can't stay in this place. And so God wants to be living among his people. The people lose the plot. God says, okay, well, I'll make a great nation from your loins, Moses, straight from you. Forget them. I'm killing them all. God could have done that in the first place. You know what I mean? Moses was ready in Midian. He could have taken his family and done it all. You brought them all out here to die and end in this way. So then we move ahead to chapter 33 of Exodus. The Lord said to Moses, depart, go up from here, you and the people you have brought up out of the land of Egypt, to the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, saying to your offspring, I will give it. I will send an angel before you. I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, um, the Hivites and the Jebusites, loads of ites. Um, Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey. I. Um, but I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. 
When the people heard this disastrous word, I love that disastrous word, they mourned and no one put on ornaments for the Lord had said, Moses, say to the people of Israel, you are a stiff necked people. If for a single moment I should go up among you, I would consume you. So now take off your ornaments that I may know what to do with you. Therefore, the people of Israel stripped themselves of all their gold, all their luxuries from Mount Horeb onward. Now, this, now Moses used to take the, te- um, take the tent and pitch it on the outside of the camp. This is the tent of meeting where he'd meet with God, far off from the camp. And he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up. Each would stand at his tent and watch, Mo- watch Moses until he got into the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent. And the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw a pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship each at his tent door. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again to the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man would not depart from the tent. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name. And you have also found favour in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favour in your sight, please show me now your ways. He's been up the mountain. He's had the whole DNA for the whole plan. He's been chiseling it. It's, well, it's been written by God on this stone. And he's there. He's, he's been taking it all in. And at this point, he's saying, now show me your ways that I may know you in order to find favour in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favour in your sight, I and your people? Is it not your going with us so that we are a distinct, that we are distinct, I and your people from every other people on the face of the earth? So Moses had this whole conversation, this whole thing's been going down. So they had the first conversation, this whole burning bush thing. God's calling him. He's like, no, man, you need to send someone else. This is a mad thing. Then he goes through all this stuff. And then he goes through miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. He goes to speak to Pharaoh with a staff in his hand, a shepherd's staff with no sheep behind him. Um, Shepherd being the worst job in the whole of the world, according to the Egyptian people at that time. So he's going to the most powerful man in the known world with a stick in his hand which is ultimately going to pee him off because he's going to speak to him as if he's on a level with him whilst holding a thing that says I'm the lowest of the low in your entire nation and I'm telling you how it's going to be and you're going to set my people go. God sent him with something that's going to wind the guy up. God used the thing that's going to wind the guy up. Moses' lowest period of his whole entire life to do all these miracles. That's what he parts the water with, everything. God uses it as symbol. The lowest and, and, and the downtrodden and the broken and the beaten society are being set free. They're being liberated. At this mountain, they're given this new identity, this way forward. But then God realizes, looking at me, saying, listen, the way that I am, who I am, and everything about me, and, and you as a people, you're a stiff-necked people, and if I go with you, I'm just gonna, everyone's going to be consumed, everyone's going to die, so I'm just going to send an angel ahead who's going to plow the way, and then you can have your land. And Moses' response is like, it's not about the land. I, I don't want to move from here. Like, if you're not with us as a people, and this is at the tent of meeting, this is God, this is like where he would meet with God. If you're not with us, I don't want to go anywhere. I don't want to move forward. We don't want to move ahead. 
Like, God sent an angel with a burning bush. That's what it was, speaking to him. But Moses, it says, he spoke to him like a friend. He's like, if you're not here, if you're not with us, if you're not, I don't want to move from here. Isn't that the whole point to Moses? Isn't this the whole point? That you being with us makes us distinct from all the people on the face of the earth. Distinct. The word for this Sunday is distinct. At City Hill, the way we choose to communicate the gospel is in a way that we believe is accessible to all people. And that language we believe in wholeheartedly. But at the same time as believing that, we have the flip side of the coin, which we also believe with all that we are as a church, is we are called to be distinct. We are called to stand out. And the reason the launch matters so much and why December is going to be such a big, crucial moment in the life of our church is it's the moment where we know who we are, like they receive their identity. We know who we are. We know what we're about. We know what we need to be doing. But we want to do this with you, God. We want to be distinct with you. We, we want you with us and in amongst our midst. And so as we close this series, Persevere, we're seeing their story of pushing through all these different types of things. And all of us in our individual walks of life, we're pushing through all these different types of things to try and get where we want to go. And it's never a case of God does one miracle and it's done. He does miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. New problem, new miracle, new problem, new miracle. And it continues on. They get the land in the next book, spoiler alert. There's loads more problems and there's loads more miracles. God provides for us, but he calls us to move ahead of him. But we have to be like Moses in this thing that sometimes we get so focused on what we want to achieve and the goal of moving ahead and taking the ground and taking the land that actually sometimes we're not like Moses and we're not willing to go, God, actually, if you're not with me in this, I don't even want to move forward anymore because isn't this the point? I want my business to be different from everyone else's. I want to be a mum that's different from everyone else. I want to be a father that's different from everyone else. I want to be a musician that's different from anyone else. I want to be a teacher that's different from anyone else. I want to be a nurse that's different from anyone else. In everything I do, in anything I do, I want to be distinctly different because you are with me and that is my unique selling point and that is what I bring to the table. And as a church, as we look at December, we're saying this is who we are because you are with us, because you have called us to do this and we're stepping out into what you have for us. I honestly believe that this Sunday, what God wants for you and for me is that we're distinct, is that we step out. On the one hand, as a church, we want to be relevant and accessible, but ultimately, God says, you've got to shine and you can't hide that stuff. That has to just flow out from who you are. You have to live a life where you're inviting people, not just to here to church, not just to the party, but into your lives because you're going to be distinctly different. I'm just going to pray for us and then that'll be it for this Sunday. Father God, I thank you for your goodness, your faithfulness, and thank you for Sunday mornings. Um, I thank you that we're here, um, right here, right now. I thank you that Moses had that first encounter with you where you called him and he said, Hinene, dropping another series in the prayer time. And um, he was present and fully surrendered to what you wanted to do in his life, but also you called him forwards and you called them forward. And he finally discovers at the end of it all that it's all, about, it's all about being with you and you being with us and being distinct. Father, may we know what it is to be distinct in our workplace, in our lives, with our family and our relationships. May we draw close to you as you draw near to us, as James says. In Jesus' name, amen.